0: Business and Bucket fans, we are live, episode 27. Getting near that 20, 28, 29. We're almost in 30, you know. We out here putting out content, weekly sports podcasts, monthly business podcast, and we have a stacked show today. And I mean stacked show. We're going in NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, diving into some MLB teams on what I've seen this far of some surprises from my preseason predictions little bit of NFL chat, a little bit of everything for you guys. But first, on this beautiful Friday afternoon, we're going to talk fueled supplements. Well, fellas, performance is on the top of the list for all categories of our lives. I know for me especially. That's why you need Counterattack from Fueled Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than an average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boost the sex drive and energy levels and lean muscle mass. So let's face it. We all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves, especially as I near the dirty 30 here. I, I could tell things are, cha- are changing. Uh, Increase vital- vitality inside and outside in the gym with counterattack. The missus will thank you guys for it. So don't wait. Head to fieldsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off everything besides whey protein. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS. Check out Counterattack and the rest of their supplemental stack on fueledsupplements.com. So let's start with the NFL. We'll always start with the NFL. It's off-season. I know there's not as much news in the NFL, but we'll just you know stick to the rhythm and flow here. If you guys do, check out the video part of the podcast on my YouTube channel, Business and uh, Buckets Podcast. I do chapter the uh, content that I'm covering. So NFL, I'll give you the distance, the length, and the times, UFC, NBA. I don't expect someone who wants to hear me talk about NFL maybe doesn't want to talk about NHL. You know, Someone who tunes in for NHL might not care about the UFC. If you guys care about it all, you're like me. You want a genuinely smart, high-IQ sports guy to give you your takes, talk about sports, not get too much into the political BS, then hey, You know, you'll, you'll listen to the whole whole show and have a good time, but if you want to chapterize your content, I totally understand. That's why I'm doing that on YouTube. If I knew of a way to do it on, um, the audio versions, I would, I just don't know if there is something like that, unless you're Joe Rogan, you got the videos, you could crank it out, but I'm not there yet. All right. So NFL news, one of the biggest pieces of news for me is Mr. Adam Venetari retiring from the NFL. When I think of upper echelon kickers in my lifetime or just really from my sports knowledge in general, this guy's got to be cream of the crop. He holds NFL records for the most field goals made at 599. Too bad he didn't (laughs) hit that 600 mark, but hey, 599. The most postseason points, 238. It's a lot of damn points. It's a lot of field goals. He was part of two powerhouse franchises, the New England Patriots, And the Indianapolis Colts has won multiple Super Bowls. That's probably why he has so many points. He got to play so many different playoff runs. He has the most overtime field goals made with twelve. He also joined the Patriots as an undrafted free agent in '96, where he played ten seasons there, and was a member of the Colts for fourteen seasons. Crazy to think this guy went undrafted. You talk about a chip on your shoulder, making a making a move for glory and excellence. This is the guy. And he's a four-time Super Bowl champion. The first kicker on the NFL Top 100 list, if you guys are into the NFL Players 100, the first kicker voted there, which I don't think I've ever really seen a kicker on there. So, mad props to Mr. Vinatieri. And then the most points scored ever with 2,673 points. Adam Vinatieri. I have his Wikipedia pulled up with NFL records. I mean... This list in small print is, you know, this big. It's almost the whole damn screen. You could There's just so many things on here. Only player to score 1,000-plus points for two teams. Uh, most player of the week awards by a place kicker, 18. Most special uh, team player of the month awards with five. He has oldest player to have a 55-plus-yard field goal. Um, oldest player to make two or more 50-plus-yard field goals at 46 years old. Damn near 50 years old. Oldest player, 50-plus, most consecutive games in a single postseason with three-plus field goals at four games. So, yeah, this guy, amazing, amazing career. If you could put, like, hey, this is the way you do it as a kicker, that's the way. And he was undrafted, so even better story. So, how to talk about Mr. Adam uh, Venateri. The NFL salary cap is officially going to be listed at the $208 million mark, which I believe was roughly expected last year, uh, but it was only 188 with the COVID impact. So teams are definitely getting a nice breathing room when it comes to the salary cap. You know, these guys demanding big ass paychecks, it's nice to have the salary cap up so you don't have to have casualty of players or or lose some of the talent, especially when you're in a Super Bowl contention window. The US, uh, United States football league, the USFL is starting back up with Fox sports being the sponsored network. They are expected to have at least eight teams. You know, the XFL is also expected to make another rollout in 2022 as Dwayne, the rock Johnson is a part-time owner of that league. I struggle with this because there's been so many attempts for other leagues outside the NFL. The NFL hasn't really opened up a great partnership to allow the other leagues to be successful. It's more of like a cannibalization of the other leagues and, and still in the talent back. But I think it would be great to have these spring leagues as long as they act as developmental leagues. I think that's the idea of the USFL is there's been a lot of big names that have come out of here. Reggie White, uh, Vinny Testaverde, lots, uh, even um, Steve Young. But the XFL is definitely more of a drama-filled league. You know, Who knows if they're going to try to rebrand that. But that's the only way I see these working out is if they truly... Have a partnership with the NFL that the partnership um, is, you know, to keep this league successful to develop better NFL talent, not steal from the NFL. Then they won't cannibalize them. Um, but interesting to see some, t- you know, some talent come up here. It's great for, you know, powerhouses to have competition. We look at the UFC. You now have the PFL. You have one championship. You have Bellator. And usually the UFC will buy out the better performing one, take the talent. But it's great to have other leagues with other talents there. It just raises the level of everybody. Amazon making some powerhouse moves as they always do. I live here in Seattle, here at Amazon everything. Well, they're trying to get Al Michaels as voice of the Thursday Night Football as Al Michaels' contract is freed up on uh, CBS. Him and Mr. Tony Romo. Tony Romo got the bag. You know Al Michaels wants the bag as well, and CBS might not be willing to give it to him. Well, guess who will? Amazon, as they are going to be holding hosting every single Thursday night football game beginning 2022 and this year they will have the you know the the split cast between them Fox and whoever the hell else is in there Other news around the league the Texans add Rex Burkhead ex Patriots running back you know he's performed at the NFL level so interesting to see he will also join Mark Ingram and in their stable of running backs who knows what the hell the Texans are doing but it will be interesting to see Rex Burkhead outside the Patriots organization and system and then Big Ben talking, really with the press and the and the postseason or preseason interviews about he's coming into the season as this is his last. He had taught he was one of the he showed up day one of OTAs for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you know maybe if he performs well he could get another year. But ideally this would probably be the end for Ben Roethlisberger. One last hoorah. We'll see if uh, more time to recover that elbow will grant him glory. But there are definitely some holes on the team with some big losses such as Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton, um, Steven Nelson, so on and so forth. See, simple enough, couple minutes in some big some big headlines though you got to cover the NFL. but let's talk UFC. We got some fights announced as always, it's summertime baby, Banger time. We got Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. I've been wanting to see Yair back in the octagon ever since that vicious back elbow when he knocked out the Korean zombie. And I cannot wait stylistically for this fight. I was thinking about this when it was announced. I think it'll be fun just because they're both skilled at such a high level that they are unorthodox fighters that throw anything at any angle. I mean, Korean zombie is right behind you. You want to think that he's just randomly going to you know knock you out with his elbow. That was a freak incident. But these guys create freak incidents all the time. Last fight, Max Holloway turning into you know Ultra Instinct um, uh, Super Saiyan Goku and just destroying Calvin Cater. If he, if he fights like that, I don't think Yair really has a chance. But Max Holloway isn't a guy that usually ends fights. Cater should have had the white flag or given up in that fight. But he still didn't get the knockout in that fight. Even though his performance was amazing, the amount of you know, heavy hits that were landed, um, significant strikes. So it's going to be fun. I do expect Max to win this. We'll talk about it when it happens. But how about Max Holloway? You called this motherfucker up, he's ready to go. I mean, the guy is in his fighting prime. He has been in the UFC for a long time, had fought the likes of, you know, Conor McGregor very early in his career. This this guy's not even 30 yet. He hasn't even really entered his fighting prime, which is, you know, I think the Calvin uh, Cater fight can attest to that. But when we look at the rankings, we know Volkanovsky's fighting Ortega, UFC Ultimate Fighter. Uh, after the Ultimate Fighter, they get a fight. He's beat Brian Ortega. He's beat the Korean Zombie, beat Calvin Cater, hasn't fought Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett's coming back after like multiple knee surgeries. You know, he's cleaned house for most of this division. And he's willing to take a lower-ranked fighter, Yair Rodriguez, and say, fuck it. You know, I could have wait, waited for the Volk fight. But hey, I beat this guy. I look even more emphatic. Volkanovsky has nowhere to run. We're talking trilogy, especially in my opinion. I thought Holloway won round uh, the second match. Anyways, oh, if you love some beautiful women in the fighting world, we got Paige Van Zandt taking on Rachel Ostovich. And no, this is not the UFC. Both ladies had been released from the UFC after poor performances and had signed with bare-knuckle boxing, which basically, besides like Chris Lieben and a couple other guys, these women are the faces of bare-knuckle boxing. You get some pretty faces in there. Bare-knuckle boxing, it's going to be fun for fans to watch. Uh, Paige Van Zet had beat Rachel via armbar in 2019 in the UFC. Uh, But yeah, I'm sure people will tune into this. I didn't watch Paige's last fight. I did see some highlights. It's interesting seeing their pretty faces get smashed in. Uh, but that's a big fight happening in the mixed martial arts world. Also in the UFC, we got Nico Price versus Michael Pietta. Nico Price coming up on a nice little win streak. And Michael Pietta is the guy that's you know throwing f- backflip kicks, cartwheel kicks. This guy is a wild animal. This should be a fight to, be, uh, to tune into for sure. Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley officially announced I was super excited about this. I figured Jake's team would be smart enough to like wean him into better competition, but now he's fighting Tyron Woodley who will be a Hall of Famer in the UFC, had held the UFC title for multiple fights and had beat certified killers. Now, this is different than Askren as he's not just like, you know, only a wrestler, can only grapple, but he is 39 years old. His power punches came off counter strikes against the cage, very Cody Garbrandt-ish. And you can't really do that in boxing. You put in the corner, you could throw a nice power punch, um, but a lot of it's set up and there's different strategy. But I assume with the talent and the ultra-athletic uh, competitor in Woodley that he will have enough pre- preparedness and coaching to get the job done here. But the big thing for me is how motivated is is Woodley because even in the UFC, I just didn't really see that fire. He had competi- uh, competed in the Rocks, um, like, Gladiator type games. I forget what it was called. He he got destroyed by a fireman. He looked out of shape. He could barely finish the course. So he's really going to have to take this serious if he wants to win, which I think he will. But maybe he's just in it because he's going to get paid fat. But I would hate to see Tyron Woodley lose to fucking Jake Paul. Jake Paul continually wins and just and builds this you know this freight train keeps full steam ahead. So hopefully Woodley does take this seriously. Ideally, if he does, I'm taking Woodley. Um, let's see. Let's see what the odds are for Jake, Paul, Tyron, Woodley. Let's see what Vegas thinks. Yada, yada, yada. Opening odds. I would assume that Woodley's the favorite, but who the hell knows? Wow, so Tyron Woodley's the underdog, so I'm definitely going to make a bet on that. He's plus 110. I mean, Jake Paul's only 24. To be honest, I did a double glance the other day when I saw that he was only 24 because he'd put out some rap song called 23, and I, everyone kept talking about Jake Paul rapping, and I never heard of it because I assumed it was garbage. It was garbage. I mean, they just have a you know a bunch of fanboys, young kids that follow them on, on YouTube, that's how they get their money, you know, respect, you know, here I am creating content, you know, hopefully it's not only young kids, but I, I don't really care who my audience is. If I could benefit you, if you enjoy my sports talk, you know, as we grow, hopefully I can get some other people in here to drop their knowledge. You're like, hey, this guy really knows what he's talking about. I really enjoy it. Enjoy what he has to say. I'm tuning in. Great. On the business side, hopefully I could help you personally and professionally. You could learn from some of the entrepreneurs we have on or just take away some life lessons. You know, that's what it's all about. I give a zero shit who's tuning in, if I'm making money or anything. You know, the reason I'm doing this on Friday is I got wrecked on Memorial Day weekend. Right. I, I got wrecked a little bit, um, kept postponing, writing the script because I knew we had so much sports content. But here I am Friday afternoon. Before I go see Joe Adele, a top Angels prospect in uh, the minor league team here against the Tacoma Rainiers, I want to scout him out a little bit, right? Scope it out, have some f- uh, fun with some friends at a minor league game, and I'm out here at you know Friday afternoon before that, cranking out content. I don't give a shit, you know. I love cranking out content. I love sports. This is what this is my passion. This is what I'm doing, and I'm sure Jake Paul is doing the same. You got to respect the grind, the hustle. And, you know, he's putting on an act to make more money and it's working because he's making a shit ton of money. But Tyrod Woodley knocked this motherfucker out. That's all I got to say. Speaking of the Pauls, Logan Paul's fighting Floyd Mayweather this Sunday. Another situation, you know, Floyd is a little bit older, but this is no fucking joke, right? This is Logan trying to dip his toes in to try to make more money. There's no way Logan Paul wins. Floyd's going to destroy him just much like Conor McGregor, but Floyd's a smart man. He's making a good payday, and he's doing this to have fun, right? He, he still gets to compete. He still gets to be in the limelight because uh, you know he doesn't want to fight high, high-level high boxers anymore and potentially get his first loss on his record, Um, but this isn't the same situation. I'm not worried about this fight whatsoever, and I'm sure the odds will have to back me up on this. Let's see what the updated odds are. Floyd Mayweather only minus 700. I saw it was like minus 2000 when it initially started. So people might be getting, uh, you know, a little, a little strings pulled here to believe in Logan Paul. How old is this guy? Logan Paul is only 26. So he's very young as well. Um, these wouldn't even be guys in their fighting prime yet, but yeah, put the house on. No, don't bet on Floyd cause he's minus 700, but yeah, Floyd's going to win this fight. No issues here. Don't have much else to say about this. Uh, but yeah, I'll be tuning in for sure. <laughs> I guess Chad Ocho Cinco is fighting in the main card or in the undercard. Chad Ocho, or let's just put Chad Johnson fight Sunday. Let's see who he's fighting. Yeah, why is he boxing? That's a, He's fighting Brian Maxwell. I don't know who that is. But I want to see Chad Ocho Seco Chad Johnson box, right? It's just like the Nate Robinson thing. I want to check it out. Hopefully, it's a little bit more prepared than Nate was. Outside of this bullshit, we got uh, Carlos Condit versus Max Griffin. That'll be a fun UFC banger coming up. And in the PFL, I haven't watched her yet, but supposedly she's legit and talking hella shit like she could beat Amanda Nunez. June 25th in the PFL, Kayla Harrison will be fighting Definitely worth a tune in, and she thinks she's one of the best uh, mixed martial artists in uh, in the world for women's. And Fabricio Verdum was supposed to fight, but he pulled out of that card, so that's a little bit of a bummer, as we've had a lot of big Bellator PFL fights not quite happen, uh, but Kayla Harris Harrison definitely worth uh, scoping out. And this week, Ultimate Fighter Episode 1 was back. I was so pumped about Ultimate Fighter, and the first episode was very meh. I believe you know they're they're trying to set the tone they're introducing the fighters so episode one's always kind of meh but I have a feeling this season I don't know I just have a weird feeling about the season the the first fight was very boring as well so hopefully we got good competitors you know granted the first fight um Ortega got to set it up he had a very well experienced guy the guy had just fought in the UFC actually um he was the guy that said hey I want to shoot my shot and uh, and ask uh Miley Cyrus out so you know, there, there, there seems to be high-level competition. Um, supposedly, they want more of a serious show, not as much drama. You know, my favorite season was Rampage versus Rashad Evans because there was a, b- a little bit of both. So we'll see. But regardless, I'm happy the Ultimate Fighter's back. It creates really good fighters. You look at some of the top fighters, especially the Contender Series now. A lot of them are Contender Series and Ultimate Fighter alums. And that's why when I preview fights, I always bring up if they are or aren't. And that's probably why I know them versus a lot of the other guys that I wouldn't know unless you're really fantastic or on a lot of main cards. More thriller action here. This one surprised me. This was this morning before I decided to finally film this, this sucker. Um, Vitor Belfort is boxing a YouTuber named The Real Tarzan. I don't really follow YouTube people, I don't watch Twitch and do all that shit. I got too much going on. Um, but Vitor Belfort boxing a YouTuber. I'm tuning in. Uh, Vitor Belfort's probably going to be juicy in this one because he's had a lot of juice in his days. And I, I just want to see a good knockout. You know, Knock out all these YouTube guys. You want to make some money? Well, you're going to have to pay. I hope Vitor Belfort uh, delivers here. But eno- enough of this Triller YouTuber upcoming fights. Let's talk this weekend because fights are back, baby. After a, a weekend without no UFC, I'm ready to have it. It's supposed to be raining here in Seattle. I'm ready to tune in for some fight nights. And we have a dandy in the prelim. We have Tanner the Bulldozer, Bozer, 29 years old with a 19-7-1 record, versus Elir the Sledgehammer, Latifi, 37 years old with a 15-8 record. You know, this is a heavyweight fight. I expect this to be a, a, a banger. And Bozer, you know, he, he lost his last fight, but he's won 10 of his 19 wins via knockout. So hopefully we get to see a little bit of action here before the main card. Uh Bozer's also a black belt. Uh, in karate, and a purple belt in BJJ. Allier himself has a three-fight losing streak. He has a boxing and a wrestling background. Both fighters ranked around the 20th spot in the heavyweight division, but I'm going to go with my guy, the bulldozer, right? the younger, a little bit cleaner fight fighter. He's entering his prime. He has to beat a guy like Allier who's on the latter half of his career to keep moving up the rankings, and if he does, he could fight Potentially another veteran ranked higher than him who just won, Ben Rothwell. Or uh, uh, another high-level prospect that'll be ranked high for a while, Mr. Tom Aspinall. That would be a blast, fun, stylistic matchup. But I'm excited to watch this fight in the prelims. And then moving forward in the main card, we, you know, looking at this card, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, it's a fight night card. Only the headliner is really good. They added the Bozer fight later. That's great. But as I dive in, I'm like, oh, shit, I've seen this guy before. These guys are talented. These are actually some exciting fights. We have Dusko Thunder Todorovic, 27 years old, with a 10-1 and record, versus Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, sporting a 9-3 and record at 29 years old, too. These are two young up-and-comers that I think the UFC is excited about. I was very impressed, even though it was Dusko's first loss in his last fight. He fought Punahili Serrano, who is also undefeated, and had come earned a UFC contract from the Contender Series, and I believe that was his first UFC fight. Dusko looked awesome in this fight. Looked very versatile, very clean with his striking, and uh, he got caught by Punahili's power. He was winning the first round most of the round. Punahili put a barrage of attacks on him and caught him, but Gregory himself is on a two-fight win streak. Uh, These are LFA fights. He'd actually lost his contender series fight to try to earn a contract, won two in the LFA and is now back in the UFC. So if you don't think this guy is coming with everything he has and the best shape that he has in his life, you're, joking, you're kidding yourself. But I really like Dusko and I think he will move up in the middleweight rankings. He's going to handle Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, but this is going to be a banger. This is kind of a 50-50 fight for me, but just clearly off of how I saw Dusko, I think he could handle uh, Gregory as he didn't even win his contender series fight. Um, if Dusko does win this, how about a fight against Joaquin Buckley, who had that highlight real knockout. I think it was knockout of the year and is actually coming off a loss who hasn't fought in a while. That would be a, a must uh, see fight for me. Uh, but promising career for Dusko and even Gregory ahead in the middleweight division. Then we have Santiago, the Argentine dagger, Ponzabillo, Bio with a 27-4 and record at 34 34 years old, versus Miguel the Carmel Thunder uh, Beza with a 10-0 record, and he's 10 uh, 28 years old. That's quite the name, Carmel Thunder. Yeah, he has a little bit of caramel in his skin color. Well, Santiago is on a seven-fight win streak. Well, he was, but he lost his last fight against Li Jinglang, one of my favorite fighters in the division. Miguel has won three in a row since he's earned his UFC contract with the win on the Contender Series, as he is a Contender Series alum. And Santiago trains out of ATT, American Top Team. He's a black belt in BJJ. And then Baeza is also a black belt in BJJ. This is going to be a great stylistic fight as well. I believe Santiago's experience, though, and, you know, Li Xing Lang, he did look good in that fight as well, but he's come through a lot. I think his hunger towards the end of his prime at uh 34 years old. He knows he has to get this win to get him over the hump and have a chance to move up the rankings. You know, I haven't personally seen a lot of Miguel, but he is a talented prospect that hasn't tasted defeat yet. Seven of Miguel's 10 wins have been via knockout. So tune in. This is going to be a great fight. I'm taking Santiago. I'm taking Santiago, Disco, and Tanner in my parlay. And then we have... The co-main event: Walt, the big ticket Harris, the number eighth ranked fighter with a thirteen and eight record at thirty seven years old, versus Marcin Tibera with a twenty and six record, the number eleventh ranked heavyweight at thirty five years old. So we got some big boys again. Tibera is on a four fight win streak. All of the four, all four of those fights happening in twenty twenty. He is a black belt in BJJ, and he has six finishes via submission. Harris is an Ultimate Fighter alum himself. He has lost two fights in a row, two tough, very fight, two very tough losses there. All 13 wins have been via knockout. Harris is going to look for the big punch, clearly. Marcin has lost to Wurdoom and Derek Lewis, who have big knockout power. But I wasn't very impressed with Harris's last couple losses. You know, he landed some big punches early, wasn't quite able to finish his opponents like Overeem, and then they just took him down, tired him out, and that's all he really has. So he's really dependent on the knockout power. And Tibera, if he can get him down, I, I think will win. But um, I'm going with Walt Harris. Harris himself, with his losses, has been TKO'd by Volkov and Overeem. But yeah, I'm going to go with Walt Harris. I think this is a must-win fight for him. He, you know, They're both a little bit older. This is really a 50-50 fight, but I think Walt catches Tibera as he's been knocked out a few times. And then the main event, another heavyweight battle. We got Jarzinho, Big Boy Rosenstrike, the number six ranked heavyweight, sporting an 11 and 2 record. He's 33, right in his prime, versus Augusto Sakai, the number ninth ranked heavyweight with the 15 and 15 2 and 1 record at 30 years old. Well, Rosenstrike has 10 of his 11 wins via knockout. He has lost two of the last three against certified killers, including Francis Ngannou. He has a kickboxing background. And Sakai, Sakai has lost his last fight as well to Overeem before retirement. He's a brown belt in BJJ. And Sakai's background, he has come from Bellator. He was on a very impressive impressive win uh, run with wins over Chase Sherman, Andre Orlovsky, Marcin Tibera, and Blagoj Ivanov. Very impressive win streak. But Rosenstrike has really only lost to Nganu and Cyril Gane in his last fight. Who I think potentially could be the champion. This should be a banger. I'm going with Big Boy though. He's hungry. He, you know, the last fight was kind of embarrassing for him as Cyril Gaon was active, making making him, you know, look like a he was lost in the sauce in the octagon and never was able to land a big strike. He's got to be hungry after that terrible performance as he was a Fight Night headliner in that fight as well. So I'm going to take Jarzinho Rosenstrike, but I think this is another 50-50 fight. You know, heavyweights, anyone could beat anyone on a given day. But hey, we got fights back, baby, and I'm betting on them. Next Saturday, though, we got UFC 263. Izzy's back. Lots of action. Can't wait for that one. We'll break down 263 next week and recap fight night um, on Tuesday. I'll make sure I do it on Tuesday. Nice early week. Kind of a shorter pod just covering the weekend and sports. And uh, yeah, we're nearing the, the championship level teams in the NHL and NBA. So can't wait. Can't wait. So let's talk NBA. The first thing, there's a lot of shit that happened in the basketball world. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit of college and some coaching as well. But the first thing that just irks me the wrong way, what the fuck are the fans doing? We finally get to go back in stadiums. They're pour, pouring popcorn on Westbrook's head, throwing water bottles, at a Kyrie Irving, you know, trying to streak the court or rush the court, which by the way, the security guard that tackled that fan, bravo to you. That was a, that was a clean tackle. Um, but they're just ruining opportunities for other fans. You know, obviously these guys get paid a lot of money and you know, we're not, we can't really relate to that, but the idea that we're going to shame them physically and throw shit at them. Yeah. That's like a circus animal. That's not okay. We got to cut the shit. This isn't acceptable. And if more of this shit happens, the teams are going to start cracking down. And, you know, we're not even going to be able to talk shit out there. We're in the cancel movement, the, you know, the I'm too soft movement. So more of this shit, who knows what's going to happen. But yeah, can't happen. Needs to stop for sure. And then my guy CP3 says he's going to opt out of his contract and he wants an extension multi-year around 10 million. I would assume that means one more year. You know, I don't know if a, a team wants to sign him with his injury proneness. You know, what is he, 35? Shit, he might be older. I forget Chris Paul, LeBron James, and and Carmel Anthony's ages because they've been in the league for damn near ever. So, yeah, he just turned 36 in May. Three years to 39? Woo! I don't know. So, yeah, it's got to be a two-year contract. 10 mil is a lot of cheese, a lot of cheddar. The only team that I really want him to play on is the Suns. He's a great mentor for Booker. You know, he can lead the the point guard. Cameron Payne looks to be developing okay. Um, I don't really want him to get, you know, I don't know a team that's, hey, CP3, we're tanking, we need mentorship, here's 10 mil. So it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. I'd be pissed if he ended up on the Lakers. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, but interesting move by CP3 is he's turning down a, a nice, nice sum of money. Danny Ainge stepping down from the Celtics just kind of out of nowhere. As the the big story of the Celtics the past few years has been like, look at all these picks we got. We're we're built. We're getting all these picks ready for this mega team. They get these picks. They make their trades. You know, first it's Kyrie's fault. Then it's Hayward's fault. It's always everyone's fault. Now it's Kemba's fault. And the team really hasn't gelled together. Well, I think Danny Ainge just said fuck this. I'm retiring. You know, maybe he takes a job somewhere else. But Boston's just been a shit show of late. And Brad Stevens just hopping into uh, team operations, which is he qualified for that? I'm not sure. Will he figure it out? Will the team assist him? Has he been shadowing Ainge? You know, does he have an IQ high enough to take this job? Absolutely. But for a history franchise like Boston, just to throw, you know, shit. He was one of the youngest coaches hired straight into basketball operations. Is pretty crazy. Old is old Brad these days. <laughs> I googled Bradley Stevens and I got some state representative who's 57. I almost told you guys he's 57. That would be crazy. So it'd be a young looking 57. All right. 44 years old. That's impressive. Head of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. One of the most history franchises of all of sports. American sports. 44 years old. Well, we must be doing something right, right place, right time, right there. Maybe one day we'll get him on the Business and Buckets podcast and talk about what the hell had happened these days. And then Coach K. Coach K announces he is retiring after the season, and they already are having assistant coach John Shayer to replace him. I don't know a lot about John. Can I Google and just spit some shit at you guys? Sure. But he's been working under Coach K. I'm sure Coach K had told the team, this is our guy. Coach K knows wonders. He's one of the best coaches in all of sports, in my opinion, and in sports history. And yeah, I mean that it's got to be a good hire if he is gracing him. He's probably been prepping him up. He's announcing this a year early. You know, hey, I'm going to finish this year out. Is, you know, the recruiting, the players that I promised, which is awesome. But after this one, I'm out the door. So let's look at some of his statistics. 1,170 wins, 12 final fours. 15 30 win seasons 517 ACC wins five NCAA championships he has developed 41 first round draft picks and he was the coach of the USA basketball team probably in the most pivotal moment when the USA wasn't winning gold we had the redeem team and he coached that team young LeBron James uh, Chris Bosh Dwayne Wade those guys this guy is a legend a legend coach k fuck duke but coach k you gotta give respect so yeah sad day in the coaching world you know i feel like we've seen it coming sooner sooner than later i would expect one of the next legends greg uh popovich to be coming on this way soon uh but you gotta you know round of applause for mr coach k job well done Also in the college basketball world, Drew Timmy back with the Zags. A little surprising move there. College basketball is going to be interesting as I think we have two top dog teams, kind of like we had this year. We had Baylor. We had Gonzaga. My dumbass for some reason, didn't pick Baylor, even though the whole season I was on the Baylor train. It's got to be Nova and the Zags again, right? These are the top two teams. Don't be surprised if that's the championship next year. And before we dive into the first round action and what's happened since last podcast, Joel Embiid with the torn meniscus, that's troubling for the Sixers. But they played it cool. Usually you see, hey, this guy, especially in the NFL, this guy tore his meniscus out X amount of time. And, and in playoff time, you ain't playing. But they said, hey, he has a tear in his meniscus. He's day to day. So what the fuck is going on? I mean, he fell on his ass which he's a big guy. They fall awkwardly. Like, yeah, sure. He could have tweaked his knees. Had no clue it was his knee. He was holding his leg, walking out. So he's walking on it. But can he really play playoff basketball? And is it just a little tear that's day to day? Or is this just some bullshit? They're just like shooting him up with shit. Hope to God he could play because they know as a one seed in the East, they had a shot. And without MB, they're a completely different team. I don't know. This none of this shit makes sense to me though. If you're a Sixers fan, you better be worried. And you know, I I don't want to talk shit on Joel. He's you know is probably the co, you know the second runner in MVP is really stepping up his game. And he's young still. Like how old is? And this is a kid, right? People forget these guys are fucking kids. As I get older, I'm like these are little kids. He's 27. Yeah, I'm 28. About to be 29. He's a little kid. Now. But yeah, he's still young. I don't, I'm not putting my chips on the Joel train that he's just gonna come out with a fucked up knee, be physical, and say, fuck this and just tough it out. I'm gonna be like, uh, eh, he's gonna get on the court and say, nah, the same for me. So, watch out, 76ers. Tough, tough news. You hate to see superstars of the playoffs go down. But let's talk some first round action. Well, Bucks versus Heat, this was what I was like, hey guys, this is the the best. The maybe besides them in Portland and Denver, this is the best series of the first round. Watch out. Shit's going to be crazy. Well, games three and four were blowouts. Easy buck sweep, easy buck sweep. Is this more on Milwaukee improving or is this more on Miami? I think this is more on what has to do with Miami. Milwaukee is improving. And I picked the bucks because of drew holiday and what he brings to the team. But the, you know, people are like, Oh shit, the bucks are going to beat the nets now. No, 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 no. Um, I expected Drogic and Bam to play at a very high level and Jimmy to pop off, right? No one's going to stop Jimmy on the Bucks. None of these things happen. Butler game three, 19 points on 17 shots. Game four, 12 points on 15 shots. 0 for 2 from 3. That's just not going to get it done. If I know anything about Jimmy, he's going to be in the gym probably today. You know, the, the whole coaching staff of miami is like hey get, get some rest we had the bubble now we had a condensed season like no one really got rest he probably needs some rest but dude we got to shoot better brother like you're going to be the superstar of the miami heat you're filling Dwayne wade shoes and you've done really good really good job you made it to the uh nba finals last year no one thought you would right but you got to be able to shoot the ball right he shot i think two for two in game game three so like he's shooting okay but we, we got to perform. That team needs more scoring. And as a superstar, if you know that, you got to score. He believes in his shooters, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, you know, so on and so forth. But we, you got to you gotta do more if you want to uh, win a championship. You know, Drogic played well on the bench first two games. Well, he got put into the starting lineup in game three, eight points on 14 shots. Game four, 13 points on 12 shots. He had 25 in game one and 18 in game two off the bench. You got to make moves if you're Spo, right? You're down. You're like, fuck, what do we do? We're getting whooped. That just wasn't the move. Drajic, you know, plays better when other bench units come on. He's a veteran. He could lead that group. You got to find a point guard. Is it Kendrick Nunn? You know, he's been in and out of of shades of like, damn, he looks good, but I just don't know if he's the guy. Well, the Heat had to put on a run to avoid the play-in tournament. People forget about that. And I think they were gassed from that. I think that gassed them out a little bit. You know, the Bucks have improved, but I don't think they they look as, you know, they they've improved as much as they looked in this series. But Miami needs another star, right? They had tried to do, do the Oladipo move that didn't quite work out. They got to get another star. I don't know if they're going to try to keep Oladipo. He seems to be broken. He's always hurt. I would love to see Bradley Bill go here. Uh, but but you guy, Duncan Robinson, 24 points in game 3. He shot well. Shoot or shoot, this guy looks to be a, a solid role player. Miami shot 37% Game 3. Game 4, Lopez, Giannis, and Middleton all went over 20 points. Forbes was 7 for 14 from 3. That's the game he just caught fire. I think five of those were in the first quarter. Um, and he had 22 points. The Bucks are going to need a lot, a lot more of that and more shooting to beat Brooklyn, right? I, I mean, we'll talk about that series in a second. But you got to be able to put up 120 a night. For the Heat, Tyler Hero was also non-existent. I picked the Bucks in six, but they handled it in a way better situation. What does Miami do from here? Well, I think Miami needs to make a move. Obviously, Oladipo looks to be broken. Dragic has one more year. But outside of the core of Jimmy, Bam, Tyler, and Duncan, the team needs to clean house. Right, the Trevor Ariza's, the Andre Iguodala's. I love them, but it's just it's not cutting it at this point. It ain't cutting it, yo. Other series that had uh, that's still in action. Actually, we got the Mavs and the Clippers. I had picked the Clippers to the Western Conference Finals. Well, what a series this has been! As neither of them have won a game at home. What the fuck? I, you know, I've I think I've bet on is that like game four. Right, nobody had won at home. I was like, okay, Clippers are gonna win. Mavs win. Okay, cool. Now it's back in Dallas. Dallas is gonna win. Fucking Clippers win. And so this series has just been bonkers, honestly. This is one of the most, intr- like, randomest fucking series I've ever seen. On paper, the two games that the Clippers have won, that's what I thought it would be. I thought Kawhi would perform at Kawhi level expectations. PG would play decent. I didn't think he would, you know, shoot lights out. But the Patrick Beverleys, right? All these guys that they have that are physical, I thought would beat down the Mavs. Because the Mavs are kind of soft. They're a bunch of young kids. Porzingis is soft. Luca's pretty soft at this point. But that has not been the case. Well, game two, Luca is Luca. He put up 39-7-7 and to steal home court from the Mavs, right? They won the first two in, in uh, L.A., which is wild. I was like, okay, 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 Mavericks. Porzingis with 20 in that game and Tim Hardaway Jr. with 28 going 6 for 8 from 3. This man's a free agent. He's about to get paid somewhere. The dynamic duo of the Clippers played aggressive. PG-13 had 28, 12, and 6. The claw had 41 points on 21 shots. That's superstar level shit. That's efficiency. That's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. But the Clippers are letting these games go into shootouts, which you don't want, right? Dallas can shoot you out, shoot you out of the gym. Luca will get take any shot he can if he ain't playing defense. Porzingis can shoot. You know he's been streaky here. Tim Hardaway can shoot. You know some of their bench guys, Brunson, Richardson can shoot. You don't want to get put in a shootout when you're the vet team that plays slower paced physical basketball. Dallas shot fifty eight percent from on game two and fifty two percent from three. Yeah, that's too high. Well, game three was more, or game four. uh, Yeah, game three was more from Luca as he goes for 44 9 9. 44 9 9. Just popped off. He doesn't get much help from the supporting cast, though. Porzingis dropped 9. This game, the Clippers defense really steps up to hold the Mavericks 44% from the field. Kawhi put up 36 8 on 17 shots. Another efficient line. PG with 29 and 7 on 18 shots. Decent game. So efficiency, open looks, and overall able to avoid the 3-0 hole. Okay, we got a series. Reggie Jackson is then inserted into the starting lineup over Pat Bev because he can't shoot for shit. Puts up an, a respectable 16 points. Good to see Reggie Jackson, competitive basketball. He's been playing in Detroit. Well, Game 4, LA's defense really shows up again. The Mavs shoot 34% and 17 percent from three this is where Luca had the the stinger on his neck you know he's walking around the whole the whole game like oh I can't move um so I was like okay series is over Clippers are really going to put it down but um he had 19 points on 24 shots in this game right obviously the next an injury you know I'm, I'm overreacting and talking shit a little bit uh but the rest of the team doesn't step up again Porzingis has 18 respectable line And Boban Marjanovic was the third leading scorer on the team. Boban. That's crazy. 12 points. Where's Josh Richardson? This guy looked great in Miami. He's doing nothing offensively for the Mavs. He's barely breaking the playoff rotation now. And he's great defensively. He's only going out there for defense. He's like Matisse Theibel at this point. I thought he was going to be a great fit, and I thought he was really going to improve uh, the Mavericks roster. But I was wrong. Boy, was I wrong. Kawhi had 29-10 and 10 in the win, PG had 20-9, and, and Reggie Jackson with 15. Well, Game 5, more Luka takeover. 42-14-8. and eight. Nobody else from the Mavs over double digits besides Tim Hardaway putting up a nice 20-7. and seven. Again, this man's about to get paid. In crunch time, though, nobody comes up for the Clippers, right? We're in a shootout again. Kawhi, Reggie, and PG over 20, but not efficiently. Kawhi had 20 on 19 shots. PG had 20 on 16 shots. Reggie Jackson, 15 shots. Well, the Clippers start Batum trying to mix up the lineup. He has 33 minutes with with a 10-7 and line, 10.7 rebounds. And the Mavs start Boban, who was the second-leading scorer in Game 4. He plays 20 minutes and goes with 9.7 rebounds. It's probably what you expect from Boban. Well, neither team has much bench help. Rondo is 0 for 6 with one point. Where's playoff Rondo? What the hell? Uh, Kawhi takes a terrible game-tying shot from three with the air ball. Rondo looks like him after, like, bro, what the fuck? Like, I didn't join this team for you to be shooting air balls. Uh, yeah, he shot really early. There's like seven seconds. That was just really weird. Uh, same corner that he made the Toronto three from, so maybe he's like, fuck it, let's do it again. Porzingis with eight points in this game. You know, besides the early part of the series, game one, his, or game two, he really hasn't shown up, right? Porzingis needs to be putting up like double-doubles with 20 points every night. Well, this is surprising. Like I said, I had the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals and mostly uh, under the Kawhi treatment. I bought into the hype, what he did with Toronto. He has a better supporting cast in LA, and they're physical. They're not playing physical, right? They're not playing the, the, the level of basketball that they usually are playing. And yeah, it's kind of a mess. So yeah, I, I'm not too sure what to think. Is it coaching? Is it the players? Is it just the fucking Clipper curse? I don't know. But the one guy who's going to have some pressure isn't Doc Rivers, right? He's in Philly and beads hurt, but he's, he's out of it. So um, I'm sure Doc <laughs> Doc is happy. Uh, I think the Clippers win game six tonight. The to force game seven. But I think the Mavs are going to win one of them. So I, I'm picking the Mavs to win, which is great as a Utah fan. You could slow down Luka. Right? They have one guy. We have a better defense than the Clippers. Slow down Luka. You're going to win the game. Versus the Clippers, you know, if they play their brand of basketball, it could be troubling. Kawhi could do stupid shit. You know, so can Luka at this point. But as a Jazz fan, I'm rooting for the Mavs. I do think they win this series. I had the Clippers going to the Western Conference Finals, beating the Jazz next round. So I fucked that up. I mean, it's not over yet. Um, But that would mean no team wins at home, if that's right. I don't know if that's ever been done. That's some wild shit, ladies and gentlemen. But I think after the air ball and the performance of game five, Kawhi can't go out like that. Friday night, primetime, the only game on. I'm assuming it's TNT. I probably have it in the script later, but let's look. This bitch on him, TNT. ESPN. ESPN primetime. You can't go out like that for Kawhi. You didn't go to LA to do that. It's just in Toronto. So let's talk now Nets Celtics. I picked the Nets in five, assuming Tatum would pop off. And I was right in this one. Well, game two, Brooklyn shot 45% from three. All five Nets starters go over double digits, led by Durant's 26, 8, and 5. Joe Harris went seven from 10 from three for 25 points. That's my guy. And then Celtic shot 42% from the floor. And Tatum had nine points on 12 shots. So Tatum didn't pop off. They lose game two. They're down 0-2. Back to Boston. Well, Boston has a bunch of shit for Kyrie. This is where the water bottle incidents ha- incident happened. And Tatum showed up. He popped off for a 50-burger. 50, 50 points, six assists, seven rebounds. And Marcus Smart stepping up as well, playing good defense. 23 points but holds Kyrie to 16 points on 17 shots. Okay, okay. And then KD pops off for 39, and James Harden has 41, 7, and 10. What a line that is. Boston shoots 50% from the field, though. Not acceptable. The Nets don't play defense. They ain't trying, so it don't really matter. You got to out-shoot them, and Tatum did. Well, game four, defense doesn't exist for anyone. KD has 42, Harden 23, Kyrie 39 and 11, Probably pissed off from the water bottle incident. Tatum still puts up 40. A nice rookie for the Celtics, Peyton Pritchard. Nice little 12 off the bench. Evan Fournier continuing to play mediocre basketball in his prime. 16 points on 15 shots and the loss. So now we're talking 3-1 going to game five. That's all she wrote. The Nets' big three smelt blood in the water. They combined for 83 points of the... uh, Scored 83 of the Nets' 123 points. And Tatum was inefficient with 32 to lead the Celtics. Romeo Langford put up a 17. Jabari Parker off the bench. Jabari Parker siding 12 off the bench. But not enough as the Nets easily take care of business here. Where do the Celtics go from here? I mean, there's a lot. We could, you know, I could talk Celtics where they go from here for an hour. If, If one of you guys are Celtics fans, you like my shit, comment on YouTube, hit my DMs, whatever, I'll talk about it. But I just assume people don't want me to talk about that for an hour. You know, I like keeping my sports podcast weekly hour and a half range, maybe two hours. But if, you know, five hours of sports content, one podcast, is a lot. Um, and I don't have working a full-time job time to do multiple podcasts a week, sports, but Kemba has a two year, two more years on his contract. So he's got to stay unless they try to try to make another trade. Tatum, Brown, and Smarter all signed up. They're the core. But outside of that, you got to restart. I mean, maybe you keep a Peyton Pritchard, some of these young guys, but they have like four or five guards on the bench. They don't even play. Yeah, I, they got a long ways to go. You know, luckily, like the Heat, they play in the East. You can probably make the playoffs, put a playoffs, you know, just a Tatum, Brown, and Smart alone. But you want to have championship operations. You want to have the big glory team like Danny Ainge thought he was creating. You got some work to do. You got some work to do. And then the other big time series, big time that I had thought was just going to be fireworks. We got Portland Trail Blazers, Denver Nuggets. They're in the same division. They're in the division of the Jazz. I watch these teams all the time. I go to Blazer games when I can. And I pick the Blazers at seven. Why? Because it's dame time. Well, no dice on this one. Game three, the series was tied 1-1 when we talked last week. The Nuggets still back a road game to go up 2-1. to Denver shot 52% from three. That's really good for Denver. And the Blazers only shoot 31 from three. That's the big story, as Denver had 14 turnovers to Portland's seven. And all five Nuggets starters over double digits, led by future MVP Nikola Jokic, who had 36 and 11. Austin Rivers is really clutch for the Nuggets in this game down the stretch. He has 21 points, going 5 for 10 from three. And Lillard had 37 points on 31 shots. He was forced to shoot the ball, forced to try to take the te- put the team on his back. Didn't do it very efficiently. And neither did C.J. McCollum. 22 points on 20 shots. But Mello, 4 for 8 from 3 with 17 points off the bench. Still not enough. Well, game 4, Portland turns up their defense to tie the series 2-2. Denver shoots 34% from the field and 29% from 3. Way less than that 50% game before. And then Jokic held to 16 points on 18 shots. Nurkic doing a good job down low. Well, he led the Nuggets as they only put up 95 points this game. And Monty Morris, who would recovered from an injury, starting to gain some momentum. He's back with 12 points off the bench. And Norman Powell, the midseason acquisition, really leveling up the Blazers. 29 points going 4 for 4 from 3 to lead the Blazers. Got to get more of that. Well, Game 5 with the Tide Series. This game is fucking bonkers, bonkers. I remember I was going to write my script this night, but this game was so tied in, I didn't. I said, fuck it, pull back a couple drinks and watch this game. This was a tiring, this had to have been a tiring game for the two teams. Double overtime thriller. And the only reason it went to overtime, Dame Dalla. Only time it went to double overtime, Dame Dalla. Clutch buckets from Michael Porter Jr. And Austin Rivers is too much for the Blazers in double overtime. Jokic put up a 38-11-9 line. Michael Porter Jr. with 26 points, 12 rebounds. And Monte Morris getting that momentum, getting that chemistry back with the team, 28 points off the bench. All five Blazer starters were over double digits in this one as they played a tremendous amount of minutes. And Dame tried to put the team on his back, forced the overtime shot, which I thought he got fouled in, by the way. So, hey, you know, potentially the NBA fucked that one up. This would have really drastically changed the series. And then he also hit the shot in double overtime. He finished with a 55-10-6, and six, but they lost, right? The game felt like the turning point for Portland, but after, you know, with the big shots, hey, you get momentum here. You're able to go to game six in Portland, but with the tough loss, it's like, you know, how much do they got left in the tank? Dame's having to do way too much. Lillard set the three-point record for a playoff game in this game, finishing for 12 threes of 17 attempts, And I believe there was like seven of these in the first quarter. Crazy shit. Dame was in a different world. He was doing that Ultra Instinct, Goku, hitting that, everything. In your face, hand your face, don't matter. Step back. Pull up in the logo, don't matter. Hitting it. It was a lot of fun to watch. I picked Portland game six. This is in Portland. Portland's up most of the game. Nurchick gets in foul trouble again, trying to de- defend uh, Joker and team. Joker took advantage, 36-8-6 and six to close out the series. Michael Porter Jr. with another 26, and Monty Morris being the sixth man off the bench with 22 points. Supposedly, Will Barton's on his way back, which would be huge for the Nuggets rotation as they're going to take on the number two overall seed in the West, the Phoenix Suns. Lakers gone, Heat gone, both teams in the championship last year, gone in the first round. I told you guys this year is going to be fun. No one knows who's going to be the champion before the playoffs. Everyone has a shot, especially if Dallas defeats the Mavs or the the Clippers. All the big dogs be gone besides the Nets and technically Milwaukee and, you know, my Utah Jazz. Um, But this was a well-rounded game for Portland as six players go for double digits. Dame had 28 and 12. You could tell he's getting a little tired. Didn't have to, you know, wasn't forced to do too much until the end. They lost it all. And CJ had 21 on 21 shots. Another inefficient game from CJ. Um, Where do the Blazers go from here? I tweeted, you know, a first round exit to the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. You got to blow it up. But how much can they blow it up? Well, CJ really has to step up if the Blazers want to take the next step. I know he was in and out of injuries this year. You know how healthy he was coming into the playoffs. We have no idea. They've been playing playoff basketball for about a month with the play in tournament, trying to avoid the play in tournament, right? Having to play high level basketball. And CJ has been with the Blazers eight years now. will be turning 30 next year. He's signed through 2024. So the Blazers need to take, need him to take a leap. You know, can you get enough value back in a trade for CJ? Probably not. So I'd assume he's going to stay. He's averaged 23 points this season, which is pretty respectable, but they need to recreate the roster. You know, maybe Zach Collins could come in healthy, which he's never been healthy. So why, you know, try to lean on that, but maybe he makes a difference. Maybe he's the, the future NBA forward that we expected. Nurchick and CJ healthy next year. Maybe they could get some more momentum. Maybe they can get to the second round. You know, Cantor had a decent season, but was nowhere in the playoffs, barely in the rotation, Melo surprisingly wasn't an issue. He was serviceable off the bench, but he's getting old. See how see how old Carmelo is. Thirty seven. Yeah, <laughs> he's getting up there. Powell was a solid pickup this season. Nurchik signed one more year. You know, maybe you could package him up for a trade. Depend on Collins, go with a new center. Derek Jones, the signing that they were high on, was a complete bust. Maybe Anthony Simon steps up. But they don't have enough playmakers and they need defenders. So, yeah, I mean, you kind of got to blow it up as much as you can. You know, you have to stick with CJ and Dame at this point. I, I would assume they would want Powell, but really everyone else is indisposable. Looks like Terry Scotts might get fired. And word on the street is Jason Kidd is the front runner for the head coaching job if available. Dun, dun, dun. All these NBA players taking over jobs. High IQ players, though. Steve Nash, Jason Kidd. I mean, we're talking elite level players. This isn't, you know, Enos Cantor coaching teams. But we'll be interesting to see what happens there. Also, Dame Lillard with a very cryptic tweet. I was going to save this for the end, but let's just cover it since we're talking Blazers. He, he, it wasn't a tweet, it was an IG post right after the game. And the, uh, the lyrics are How long should I stay dedicated? How long till opportunity meets preparation? So Dame, my favorite part is he is loyal, right? He's stuck with the team, kind of like a Mike Trout with the Angels. He's really tried to help develop them. But he is such an elite level basketball player and competitor. You know he wants to have a taste of a championship. Is that going to happen in Portland? Probably not. And you look at their core, is it built? Do they have the pieces to make it? No. You know, me as a Jazz fan, usually we can't do it. We can't recruit the big time players. You got to draft well and you got to trade well. Well, We were lucky to draft Donovan and Rudy and have a core. And then we were able to make good trades, really steals of trades. Exum for Jordan Clarkson. We were able to steal Bogdanovich for cheap. So like you got to make really good chess moves. And I just don't see the Blazers having a core to do that with. But hey, who knows? But let's talk my Jazz. Donovan Mitchell back game two, baby. We had talked about game one. Jazz took the L. Everyone said the world was following. I expected the Jazz to sweep even without Donovan game one. they had beaten the Grizzlies twice in regular season without Conley or Donovan. Um, But hey, I also didn't expect Morant to continue to put up 40 on the Jazz defense. So not a lot of defense in game two. 270 total points scored. John Morant led all scorers with the big 47 as he just gets to the hole, man. He gets to the hole and in the lane at will. This guy is one of the most athletic rim finishers I've ever seen. You know, he doesn't do a lot of big dunks. But the way he could just his hang time in the air and could tort his body as big guys are pushing him. And Rudy's got one of the longest wingspans in the league. He's putting up and Jaw somehow can find a way to just spin it off the backboard in the smallest windows. Shit's crazy. Um, you know, even with the good defense, he's he's able to find a way to get it in. Not much bench help for Memphis, as you know, we expected. All five starters were over double digits. Mitchell at 25 points in 26 minutes in his first game back, and I had really picked the Clippers because I was worried about his ankle. He'd been out. He hadn't even conditioned yet. He looked great for this amount of time, and honestly, through the series, he kept getting better, kept getting better. So at this point, I don't think there's much worries with Donovan Mitchell. Rudy with a great performance, putting up 20 and 13. And Mike Conley just slaying the old team, 20 points, 15 assists. That's point guard play, if you tell me. And then Clarkson and Ingles, both six men of the year candidates, obviously Clarkson winning, combining for 30 off the bench. So turning to game three in Memphis, big game, tied 1-1. The Jazz shoot 44% from three, pretty much their season average. And the Grizz only shot 31% from three. Six players of the Jazz in double digits, but the backcourt duo of Conley and Mitchell were able to put up 29 and 27 respectively. Conley shot seven of 10 from three, shooting the lights out. Can't leave the old man open. And then Rudy double doubles with 15 14 and has four blocks. The Grizz have five double digit scores. His job puts up 28 on 23 shots. So no more in the 40s, not very efficient. Brooks puts up 27, and Grayson Allen, the ex-Jazz, coming off the bench with 17, shooting 5 for 8 from 3. Now, the pivotal Game 4 must win for the Grizz, in my opinion. The Jazz got hotter from deep, shooting 50% from 3, and hold the Grizz to 28%, as the series looks all but over, with Utah going up 3-1. Well, they did this last year versus the Nuggets, and, you know, could have happened, but... This year is the same story. This is a young, you know, inexperienced Memphis team. And with that in the back of the Jazz's head, I expected them to handle business, and they were able to. Mitchell just continuing to gain more confidence and, and getting in better shape. Puts up 30 points, 8 assists. And then Jordan Clarkson with 24 off the bench, going 4 for 9 from 3. Mr. Six Man, Jaron Jackson making some appearances now that he, he had just gotten back into the lineup before playoffs, so getting some more time. Puts up 21.6 rebounds. Dylan Brooks with another 21. And then Jaw with 23 in the defeat. Uh, nice performance by DeAnthony Melton, though, on the bench with 15 minutes. He's looking like a good role player for the Grizz. So then we enter the elimination game five. Utah goes for the kill shot, even though they cooled down from three in this one. Donovan put up 30 points, 10 assists, 6 rebounds. As he must have heard the Shaq and Chuck comments... That uh, big interview on TNT that went viral. They were saying, I don't consider Donovan a superstar because all he can do is score. He doesn't have the surrounding stats, the assists, right? He does run some point guard, some shooting guard. He doesn't get the rebounds. Well, how about that? 30 points, 10 assists, six rebounds. Um, Looks like a superstar to me. Uh, We'll get into his averages here in a minute, but huge for the Jazz having him back in the lineup. He's averaging 27 points per game in the playoffs during his career which is currently 7th all-time behind Anthony Davis and LeBron James. 7th all-time, though. It's his third year in the league. He played until his junior year, so what is he, 25? 25, 24? 24. Turns 25 in September. Big, big, big names on that list. Where does Memphis go from here? Well, Memphis is going to be a fun team. Right, You get Jaron Jackson healthy, get him blended into the rotation. And with Ja, dude, he's got years of improvement left. Years to even enter his prime. He is going to be a hell of a player. Dylan Brooks, hes I think he's starting to reach his peak potential. A great uh, 3 and D guy, which you get paid good money in the league to be a 3 and D. And then you got Jonas Valanci- Valanciunas, who had the best year of his career at age 29. Right? I mean, he's got plenty of good basketball left. So that's a great core to build from. The once young, promising Justice Winslow looks like he's on his way out of the NBA in general. Can't stay healthy, right? Looked to be a big piece for Miami, never turned out. He's got one year left on his contract, so he's disposable. I like Brandon Clark. Gonzaga can grow into a great bench player. Xavier Tillman, he took a big step in a second uh, as a rookie and second round pick out of Michigan State. And then you have Desmond Bain and D'Anthony Mellon look like future role players as well. And honestly, they impressed me more than Grayson Allen and Tyus Jones. Grayson Allen's been shooting the three pretty well lately, so he could shoot into a, a, a sniper potentially. But Tyus Jones has been underwhelming. But they have lots of good little pieces, get some more draft picks, You know, potentially sign a veteran to lead the team. Jonas is a good veteran, but they need a guard veteran to help with Ja and Dylan. Fun team, though. Going to be a blast. I wish they would have came to Seattle. What about a jaw jersey for shout? And then we move to an Eastern Conference series. We got the Wizards. We got the 76ers. So let's dive in. Well, we expected this series to be light work by the 76ers. At least I did. But, obviously, Joel Embiid's injury just shadowed the success here for the Sixers. You know, like I said, it, it was his meniscus he fell on his ass he felt his leg big guys fall weird it's a shitty situation you gotta feel for philly fans whether you're a 76ers fan or not well uh coming off the heels of game one which we covered last week game two the sixers blew out the wizards as expected 120 95 bill showed up for 33 points not very efficiently uh, but russell westbrook with only 10 points on 10 shots joel and ben simmons both with 22 apiece Tobias with a nice 19-9, and And then Furkan Korkmaz with a little 13 off the bench, and Tyrese the promising rookie with 10 off the bench as well for the Sixers. Well, you know, Bill doing his part, but Russ still struggling in playoff time, especially with his shot. Would Game 3 be any different? Well, Game 3 is another snooze fest, as the Philly starters um, really took a commanding 3-0 lead with a 132-103 victory. Joel had 36 and 8, all Philly starters over 15 points, very impressive. And then Ben Simmons with 14 points on 10 shots. I'm starting to think he isn't a superstar. And you know, and I just don't really see that next step. We'll be interesting to see him versus better teams in the playoffs this year as the Wizards absolutely have no defense and he still can't score 10 points on 10 shots. The biggest thing for Ben is you gotta be a shooter to be a superstar in my opinion. So Shaq and Chuck were knocking Donovan for only shooting. You know, he does supplement the. You know, he'll have three, four, five, six most of the games. You know, he's starting to do better, see the ball better. He's improving. He's taking clear steps forward. How is Ben taking steps forward with these lines? Against Washington, like you got to be putting the smack down. And I know that you're feeding the ball to Joel down low. But point guard um, center combos always work out. So, yeah, I'm just not very impressed with Ben. Honestly, not impressed at all. Westbrook picked it up. Game three, 26, 10, and 12. A little triple-double, a little Westbrook action all over it. Uh, Bradley Bill had 25 points on 26 shots, so not much help from the rest of the team. Obviously, game three is a wrap. Up 3-0, and Bede goes out early, and the Wizards still the game. Bill has 27 points, and Rui Hichamara with 20 and 13. He's looking great. Russell Westbrook has 19, 21 rebounds, 14 assists, on 19 shots so again 19 points 19 shots much like ben simmons it's not going to cut it if you want to be a superstar and help your team win championships again a lot of this criticism is not it's not that they're not great players it's not that they're all-star level players but if we want to put you in the conversation at helping your team win a championship these guys aren't it they just really aren't and again they haven't won and i don't expect them to win um Tobias, uh, without Joel though, this is a surprising shit. Okay. Tobias Harris steps up. He gets 21 points, 13 rebounds. That's great. Exactly what Tobias is. In my opinion, he's a clear number two. Well, Ben Simmons, he has 13 points and 12 rebounds, decent line, but without Joel, like you guys lost the fucking game and Philly fans, I tweeted, they got all butthurt. Oh, he had 13 points, 12 rebounds. He is a superstar. Look at that sick line. Dude, Joel's out. You got to step up. This is out of control. This is not acceptable. You're losing to the fucking Wizards. Philly's got a good enough team to beat them without Joel. Well, for the Wizards, Robin Lopez got 16 off the bench as he's moved to the bench. And Daniel Gafford takes over in the starting unit. Younger, more athletic. Maxie had 15 off the bench and George Hill with 14. But again, Wizards still game four. So now shit's interesting. Ben Simmons doesn't play that well. What's going to happen without Joel? Can the Sixers unit get it done? Well, Seth Curry puts up 30 points, mostly only shooting. He's a shooter. That's huge for them. Tobias Harris with a nice 28, 9, and 6. Again, that's the number two in my opinion. They aren't having it as they close the series out in Philly, though. Dwight Howard has a 12 and 8 in replace of Joel bull is then inserted in the starting lineup just for defense. He only has seven points, but the biggest storyline for me is Ben Simmons. I I don't know why I didn't mark this down. I I should make this a a focal point here. Game five without Ben Simmons or without Joel, I think he damn near almost had a triple double if I'm correct, but his his shots were just inefficient or maybe I didn't put it because he had just a few points and it was efficient. Whatever, regardless, ESPN is not working on there. I'll pull up my phone. I mean, we're talking this guy somehow got the rookie of the year award, even though he wasn't a fucking rookie. Like it's his third year. Technically his fourth year in the NBA, right? He's had time to develop. Has he had lots of pressure? Sure. Like he's gotten a lot of shit going, gone his way, but without Joel, you play 39 minutes more than anyone. He's seven for 11 from the field. 19 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. I'm sorry, but that's not a superstar. If you're a superstar, you give your chance, or your team a chance every year to win the NBA Finals. He is not a superstar. This is not execution against the worst defensive team in the league. Is it going to be like this every round? A hundred percent not. I can't wait to see what happens. I just don't expect him to be able to deliver. If you're Philly, you better have your fingers crossed that Joel can play and play a lot of minutes at high-level basketball. Sorry, how to get that in? So the Wizards, what the fuck do the Wizards do? Well, is Bradley Bill going to stay? That's really all they should care about because that's the only player on their team worth having. I hope he goes to Miami as I think that would be sick as fuck and would put them in championship contention. I love my guy Jimmy B. You know, Daniel Gafford's looking to be a good rotational piece as he got, you know, a lot of shame early on. Russell's signed for one more year. Sure, you keep Russell. Rui looks like a good starter rotational piece. They... (laughs) Honestly, Davis Berton's got the bag. He got hurt in this series. You know, he's a good shooter, whatever. So he's going to be there. But the rest is definitely disposable, right? Um, They got a lot of work to do. They're in the East. They could keep making the playoffs just off Bill alone. But it'll be interesting to see if he stays. So then we come into this series. The Lakers and the Suns. Well, the Lakers defense after game one, which we covered last week, came to play in game two. They forced 13 turnovers. AD put up 34, 10, and 7. See, that's superstar shit. Dennis Schroeder, 24. Dennis Schroeder's out here scoring more than Ben Simmons, and they're trying to tell me Ben Simmons is a superstar. LeBron James, 23 and 9, to help lead the Lake Show in the victory. Andre Drummond, 15 points, 12 rebounds. Okay, that's what they brought you in for. But Devin Booker got hot with 31 in the loss, which is a good sign for the Suns even though they lost. And DeAndre Ayton with 22-10, and 10, he's looking looking good. I got to give this guy credit. He's putting up points. He's putting up the rebounds, double-doubles every night. CP3 does hurt his shoulder, though, and only plays 23 minutes. So if you're a Suns fan, this is very disturbing news. Every year, the Suns look like they have a shot, or Chris Paul's teams look like they got, got a shot, a.k.a. Houston game seven. He gets hurt. Just the worst place is worst time. So now the whole series is, okay, what's going to happen now? It's tied 1-1, game three. The Lakers only shoot 25% from three, but AD puts up 34 and 11, LeBron 21, 6, and 9, and Schroeder chips in with 20 points. On the other side, Ayton has 22 and 11, another double double. Booker only has 19 points on 19 shots, so they weren't having another 30 point game from him. And Cameron Payne with 15 on the bench, is CP3 only had seven points in 27 minutes, and clearly the nagging shoulder bugged him. And then Torrey Craig has a good bench game with 11 points. Lake show up two one. Is Chris Paul's shoulders going to get healthy? Are, you know, are they going to be okay? They're down now. We're we're in L A again. Well, game four, the Sun stole the road game, even up the series. But this is when AD goes down with a groin injury. You know, he's a return questionable through the series. You know how groin injuries are, especially for big guys. You can't move laterally. It takes a lot of your game away. A defensive game here. Six sons in double digits. LBJ, the only Laker with life, putting up 25, 12, and 6. Kuzma, Caruso, and Gasol all all over double digits off the bench. So things are definitely interesting. Game 5, no AD. Could he potentially return? Potentially, but not in Game 5. CP3 is not healthy, but Devin Booker puts up 37 and 5. 30.7 rebounds, 5 assists. Cameron Payne with 16 points off the bench. You know, CP3 helps with all the guards he plays with. If we look at, you know, in, in Oklahoma City, he helps Schroeder. He helps Shigus He's just helped every guard he goes. He levels them up. He levels the team up. And I think that's what we're seeing with Cameron Payne. A nice little 16 off the bench. LBJ had 24. Kuzma with 15 off the bench. The Suns now 3-2 lead going back to L.A. The pressure's on. AD suits up. They say it's a game-time decision. Through warm-ups, he, get, he makes the game. Only gets in five minutes before leaving again. Clearly wasn't healthy enough to play, but they're desperate. LBJ led the AD-less Lakers 29-9-7 and on 26 shots. That's not LBJ. You know, I'm, I, I wonder if he had more in the tank, but was like, fuck, AD's out. It is what it is. Or if maybe Father Time's finally catching up with him. In an elimination game, we don't ever see LeBron do 29 points on 26 shots. It's just not LeBron. So, lots of interesting storylines to take away from that. Uh, Schroeder with 20 points and KCP with 19 as well. I don't know. This is going to be interesting. Morris was nowhere to be found this series. Kuzma, a couple decent games, but like 15. You know, we're not talking like he's leveled up. Montrez, Harrell really didn't do shit. Barely in the rotation. And Wesley Matthews, I don't think we expected a lot, but he wasn't nowhere to be found in the series as well. But welcome to the playoffs, Mister Booker, with the series ending thirty points, seven assists, uh, seven rebounds, five assists, and then Payne chipping up another little sixteen off the bench. You know, I had the Lakers winning and beating the Nuggets next round strictly because of AD and LeBron. No AD didn't can't predict that. Um, so really, no upsets in the West unless. Dallas pulls off the win versus Clippers. They got they only have to win one or two games, so it's definitely possible. The Lakers are going to be hit and miss, though, in the future from here. You know, AD's health, no matter what, is going to determine their success. This The blood of the Los Angeles Lakers lives within AD and how he's performing. You know, the Lakers scored last year with COVID, pushing the season back, giving players three months of recovery time so AD could enter the playoffs healthy. He did work. They won the championship. But can he stay healthy through a whole season? It's a grind. He's got to do something. I mean, fuck, LeBron James has never hurt. Work with his guys. Train with them his nutritionists. We got to figure it out. I'm sure LeBron's going to help. But he's only 28, and I'm sure they will figure out, you know, what to do with his health, and they'll figure it out. But LeBron James is turning 37 next year. You know, he's not invincible. He can't play at the highest of levels all year or every year. But this is all dependent on AD, and he's got to stay healthy. There's not a lot of big free agents this year. So I don't know, you know, maybe they get a Bradley bill or they still Chris Paul or something like that, that is like in a win now mode, but really there's not a lot of options. Maybe a Tim Hardaway junior could really help with this re-signing Schroeder, but it's going to be hard for me to believe in the Lakers is winning the ship next year. Something's going to change. So yeah, very interesting off season for the Lakers. hundred percent as LeBron gets eliminated round one, first time in his career. And this is the first NBA Finals without LeBron James or Steph Curry since 2010. And I'm all for it. Let's go, Jazz. I love when everyone has a chance. You put your fucking teams together the right way, and you win championships. And the teams that are going to win it this year, unless you're the fucking Brooklyn Nets who's probably going to win, they're doing it right. And I love to see it as a sports fan. I love to see it. Well, before we talk round two, let's cover the Hawks and Knicks. You know, I expected the Knicks to win uh, and defend their home court here. Uh, The the Hawks were up 2-0. You know, I had the Hawks winning in six. I didn't think they'd get their ass beat this bad. Well, in game two, the Knicks held the Hawks to 36% shooting from the field and 27% from three, right? They lost game one at home. You got to win game two, and I expected them. They delivered. Well, Derek Rose, baby, leading all starters off the bench with 26 points. Julius Randle has 15 points on 16 shots. It doesn't look like the most improved player. That doesn't look like the star of the Knicks, but it's his first playoff series. Trey Young puts up 30 and 7. DeAndre Hunter's back. Bogdan Bogdanovich. They both get 18 points, and RJ Barrett only with 13 points on 14 shots in the win. You need more from those two. Those are your guys. This is what the team runs through. So game three in Atlanta, the Hawks shoot 52% from the field and 59% from three. The Knicks only shoot 35% from the floor and 30% from three. Seven Hawks have double digits. Trey Young puts up 21 and 14. Danilo Gallinari with 12 off the bench. And DeAndre Hunter with a nice little 10 as well. The Knicks try to play some chess. They put D Rose into the starting lineup. Doesn't work out too bad, even though they lose 30.6 rebounds, five assists. And then nobody else shows up as Randall has 14 on 15 shots. RJ has seven points on nine shots. So the Hawks take a two, one lead and it's looking to get ugly unless Randall and RJ can step up. So let's go to game four. Still in Atlanta. Looks a lot like game three. Trey young has 27 and nine, John Collins, 22 and eight Danilo with 21 off the bench. And then the lines for the Knicks RJ with 21, six and four. It's an improvement. Randall 23, 10 and seven. That's good effort, but not enough. Rose stays in the starting lineup, doesn't quite pop off, 18-6. and six. So here we are, elimination game in New York. You know uh, old, um, uh, geez, why am I blanking on his name? Spike Lee, you know he's stressing, right? He's courtside. I think he left the game three minutes early. Um, ice Trey putting the dagger in, 36 points, 9 assists. Randall puts up a respectable 23-13. RJ was 17-7. and seven. So where do the Knicks go now? Well, they had a great season compared to their recent history. Um, I thought they would at least have to go 6 or 7 to lose, but that wasn't quite the case. You know, this team has clearly shown they aren't ready for the playoffs yet. Uh, you shut down Randall, and there just really isn't anything else left. You know, I don't expect D. Rose to be part of their foundation. Uh, Bullock led to a great role player, Reggie Bullock, shooting from three. They need to pray RJ could take a couple more steps next season. And Obi Toppin works out, which I don't I, I don't think he's going to. But Emmanuel quickly does look like he can grow into a starter. But they need to have veteran leadership on this team and a new rotation to have depth in the East. Again, they play in the East. They can make it happen. They got some youth, but they really need the step up from RJ. And can Julius manage this kind of basketball another season? <laughs> Let's talk round two. We got Nets versus Bucks. You know, this should be the best series of potentially the whole playoffs. Who's going to stop Middleton or Giannis? Nobody, right? Nobody's going to stop him. The Nets don't play defense. So he's going to score at will. But who else is going to score? Can Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Drew score enough to keep up with the Nets big three? That's the whole story. Well, I'm going with the Nets in six. The Bucks have a decent defense and they can uh, put Giannis on KD. You can put Drew on Harden. Middleton on Kyrie, but is that going to be enough, right? These guys score at will. They're creative. They've only played a few games together and only getting better. The Nets get better every game. The Bucks are going to have to out physical the Nets and play bully ball. If it goes seven, I got the Bucks, but I don't think it's going to go there. So I'm going with the Nets in six. Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis are going to have to come up big off the bench. These guys are going to have to be chipping in damn near double digits for them uh, to be able to manage. And then for the uh, Brooklyn, you know, you, you would love to have some points from Blake Griffin, Joe Harris shooting, and Landry Shamet off the bench if the Bucs do push, push tough games. So this one's going to be a blast. The biggest issue for me picking the Bucks is the scoring. You know, every year there are issues of scoring outside of Giannis, and Giannis still isn't able to shoot in the perimeter very well. So for that reason, I'm going Nets in six. Moving to the West, we got... The Suns versus the Nuggets after last night's game. You know, CP3 isn't 100%, but can he bring enough to the table with the no defensive Nuggets? Uh, Booker's going to pop off, right? cp 3 is going to own whoever's in the point guard position. So I expect them to attack Michael Porter Jr. on offense. I know the Jazz did. Uh, Attack him with the pick and roll, give Crowder options, DeAndre Ayton options, and even Mikel Bridges. They can all take advantage of this. The biggest piece for the Nuggets is their new acquisition. Hold on one second. Thought I had to sneeze. And that is Aaron Gordon. He's going to have to show up big defensively. You know, they don't have to have a lot from him offensively, and he hasn't really performed offensively in the first round, but he's got to show up defensively. They haven't played each other since January, and this is when Jamal Murray was still playing. The Nuggets won two of three games, which is kind of intriguing. But I'm going to go with the Suns in six as well is they're just a more well-rounded team, right? They've shown that they can play games, in, in, uh, close, tight games. They could show that when a team has runs, they could they can combat that. So I'm going to go with the Suns and six. Uh, Jokic is going to eat in this game for sure, or in this series, put up big lines like he did against Denver. Um, but I just don't think they're going to slow down. Devin Book, who really did well against a very tough Lakers defensive team, and the Nuggets absolutely have none. Michael Porter Jr. might get pushed uh limits you know he's gonna get pushed around so he might have a minutes restriction unless he just somehow turns into a defensive player might get some more bench time and then we have hawks versus sixers you know it's hard for me to talk into this one because it all comes down as joel playing or not right supposedly he's day-to-day maybe he doesn't play game one he plays game two if he does play i got the 76ers and six if he plays and he plays throughout the series you know not being like ad coming in and out if he doesn't, I'm one Hawks and six. They have too much shooting. You know, Ben Simmons could D up Trey Young, which is fine. But they got Bogdanovich. They got Capella. They got uh, um, uh, Danilo off the bench. They got John Collins. There's just more options on that team. But this will be a fun series for sure. Um, but really, it all comes down to Joel. So, you know, I, I keep looking for an update, but no fucking updates. So hopefully it happens soon. And then the other Western Conference matchup that we have in the quarterfinals will be Jazz versus Mavs or Clippers. I already spoke into this. You know, I think the Mavs are going to pull it out, which for the Jazz, I will have them beating the Mavs in six. Uh, because unlike the Clippers, if you want to get in a shootout with the Mavs, cool. Well, the Jazz is the best shooting team in the league, so we'll beat you that way. And if you don't play any defense, we'll, we'll score you, and we'll play defense, right? You put Rudy distracting... Um, Luca, you put uh, Royce O'Neal on them just to tire them out. They're, they're going to come through. But if the Clippers play their brand of basketball and get through this this Mavs series, that'll have some momentum for them. You know that's going to be a tough one. Uh, but next week we'll know, right? We'll know that this this series won't start yet. So we'll dive more into this pth, uh, potential series next week. So what do we know next week? Well, tonight on Friday is that big ESPN matchup, Mavs Clippers. Tomorrow on Saturday is Bucks-Nets on TNT. Can't wait for that one. Sunday, we got Hawks and 76ers on ABC. Mavs game seven if needed, if the Clippers win. And then Monday is game two in Brooklyn. And the Suns versus Nuggets, both on TNT, we will be live um, on Wednesday next week because I shoot on Tuesday. I have to edit and upload. That takes some time. So you'll have a pod on Wednesday. It'll be up fresh to Tuesday. And then I'm going to Salt Lake City, baby. I'm going to watch the Jazz in Vivint Arena, take care of business, and earn them their way to the Western Conference Finals. Whether it's Luka and the Mavs, I want to see Luka. Let's fucking go. Whether it's the Clippers, we got Kawhi, we got PG. I've never seen any of these guys. And I'm fucking stoked. But other than that, we're going to end out. Well, let's see. Did I miss anything? Jason Kidd, Blazers head coaching job. Damian Lillard IG. Yeah. So let's talk baseball. We got baseball. We got hockey. You know, I've been talking about weekend series, upcoming weekend series, anything I see in the standings that's coming up. We'll go over to that, but I'm also going to deep dive into three teams. Like I said, in the the top of the show that I feel like just keep fucking winning are those uh, franchises that it almost doesn't matter who they have on their team. They find a way because of the culture. Kind of like the Steelers, the Packers, the the Patriots. They got that oomph in them. Well, some headlines. Poor Steven Strasburg returns from the IL, and now he's back, which you know, Washington's already at the bottom of the division. That's tough news and tough break for them. Madison Baumgartner joins them on the 10-day DL. Doesn't seem too serious, but that's a, a tough break for the Diamondbacks. But much like the uh, Nationals, they sit at the bottom of the AL West, which is a stacked division. The AL East is wild, man. We got four teams over 500 by four games or more. Cleveland is definitely surprising, sitting at 30 and 24, right behind the White Sox and the AL Central. You know, the NL East, let's see, there's four games between the top three teams. They're just going to keep beating each other up, so their records aren't going to be as good, but it's going to be a tough... The teams that come out of there are going to be tough. That's all I can say. Um, the Cubs are just gelling at the right time. They find themselves leading the NL Central at 32 and 24. And somehow them giants, baby 35 and 21, one of the best records in baseball atop the very good NL West division. And then the twins disaster season continues, sitting at 22 and 34 behind the Tigers in the AL Central. So here's the three teams that are on top of their divisions that have that wow factor with their culture and their franchise, cons- that don't really have the it factors. They don't have the Tatises. They don't have the Mike Trouts, the Shohei Otanis. But they always find a way to win. So let's talk Giants. These motherfuckers are 35-21 and 21, and one game ahead of the Padres and two games ahead of the Dodgers. I remember watching these guys opening the opening weekend here in Seattle And I was like, oh, you know, the young Mariners, the oldest shit Giants, this will be a barn burner. It actually was, and the Giants were going to work. Buster Posey was reviving his career. Brandon Crawford looked good. Um, It was just an all-around performance. I think I watched Cueto pitch that night. Pitched pretty well. (laughs) I think they ended up the bullpen choking. The Mariners came back to win. It was quite a while ago, early April. I can't quite remember. But regardless, if you would have told me, hey, Shane, June 4th, The the Giants are going to be thirty five and twenty one. They'll have gone five and four, uh, five wins, four losses, head to head with the uh, Padres, and three and four against the Dodgers. I would have said I'll bet the house. Well, here we are. The biggest surprise for this team for me is the rotation. Kevin Gossman's all of a sudden an ace at thirty years old. He's six and zero with a one point four zero ERA. He's tied for fourth in the uh, league ERA. He has 83 strikeouts, which is tied for eighth, and he has a .81 WHIP. Wow, his ERA <laughs> the last three years has been 3.62, 4.03, and 6.19. He's had under six wins in all three of these seasons combined, mixed with the Giants, Braves, and Reds, and he, here he is, six wins, one four oh ERA. You can't just make this shit up. I mean, we've always seen the potential of Kevin Gossman, but damn. And then we got Johnny Cueto out here, more than serviceable as their number two. At 35 years old, he's four and one with a 3.45 ERA and a 1.20 WHIP, and it's his best season in four years. If we insert these stats into the Angels' rotation, I'd be jizzing my pants. You know, this is this is crazy. And then the other guys, all their first year on the team. Insert Anthony. Deshafani, he's on my fantasy team now. At 31, he's having the best season in his past four years in his first year with the Giants. He's 5-2 with a three-five-one ERA, 58 strikeouts, and a 1.11 one 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 whip. Nobody would have guessed that. So you're going to tell me there's more. Now we got Alex Wood in his first year in San Francisco, also having the best year in the past four years at 30. He's 5 and 3 with a 3.48 ERA, 52 strikeouts, and a 1.12 whip. I'm sure the Dodgers are missing him with their injuries and their rotation. He signed a one year, $3 million contract. Any team would take those stats for a one year, $3 million contract. And we're not done. Aaron Sanchez, first year with the Giants. He's on the 10 day IL right now, but he started six games and has a 3.18 ERA. That is magic. So, who do we give props to? Is this the 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 pitching coaches? Is it that all these guys had their backs against the wall, most likely all one-year contracts? They kept just like leveling each other up. I don't know, but it's working. I mean, we're not talking three weeks in the season, right? We're sitting in June. We're we're getting we're getting through some baseball. We've had April, May, part of June. Outside of the rotation, they found a closer in Jake McGee. Who is with the Giants for the first time at 34? He has 12 saves at the 437 ERA. It's been a little rough of late, but still 12 saves. The Giants offense has some old names living in the glory days, man. Buster Posey at 34 has put himself back into the three spot. He's hitting 319. The average this year with these new shitty baseballs is like 270, 260. He's hitting 319 at 34. A catcher, converted catcher. 10 home runs at 21 RBIs. He already has more homers than he has, has had in a season since 2017. Brandon Crawford at 34. He's also on my fantasy team because he just keeps surprising. Waiver wire ad. He's consistently consistent, putting up a 255 ERA, 255, 12 homers, and 36 RBIs. And then Brandon Belt, 33 years old. He's hitting 228 with 8 homers and 21 RBIs. We're not done. Evan Longoria, do you remember him? I remember him way back in the day. He's still balling. Having one of the best seasons in San Francisco. Hitting 274 with nine homers and 29 RBIs. I, I He's been hitting DH. I believe he's on the 10-day DL or day-to-day, but he's been playing good ball. The team, for for the most part, staying relatively healthy. I just don't see them keeping pace with the Dodgers and Padres. I'll bet on the Padres and Dodgers rotations over Alex Wood, Anthony DeShafani, and Aaron Sanchez, no offense, and 35 year old Johnny Cueto. But hey, they always find a way. They're gonna be sticky, right? They'll be in this race way longer than anybody would expect. Um, but yeah, I don't I mean if they can't keep pace with the Padres and Dodgers, there's not enough playoff spots for them to make it. But hey, gotta give the Giants how to how to talk about it, because it's just like every week I expect it to come on here. And like, Let's look at the standings. Oh, the Giants are slipping. Like, um who was, in the NBA, we did that this year. There was a team, and in college basketball, right? There's the Houstons, and those guys that were ranked. And every week, I was like, these guys are going to fall. I'm going to tell these guys they're overrated. And that's what I expected with the Giants, but here they are. Keep on showing up. And then a team I'm not as surprised about, a team that is in my favorite team's division, the fucking Oakland Athletics are 33-25, and 25, which is one game ahead of the Astros and four games ahead of the Mariners to lead the AL West. They're 3-7 head-to-head versus the Astros, so that's not very good. They were 1-2 versus the Dodgers, and 2-1 and versus the Red Sox, some higher-performing teams. But basically, they just own the AL West, right? They win the games against the Rangers. They win the games against the Angels. They win the game against the Mariners, and that gives you a lot of wins. The top three in the rotation, we got Frankie Montas at 5-5. Five five. Chris Bassett's playing some really good ball. He's 5-2. And, and then Sean Mane is 4-2. They're putting up respectable lines. Their bullpen and closer job hasn't quite been as elite, but Lou Trevino has seven saves with a 281 ERA. Jake Diekman, six saves with a 347, and Yusmero Petit with a save at 310. The top of their lineup has been surprising. We got guys like Mark Kana, who's in the leadoff spot, hitting 250 with 10 homers, which is just slight under the league average. You know, most years, if you're under 300, that's. Meh. But this year, the, the averages are a lot lower because it's home run or bust. Jed Lowry is back, currently in the two spot. He's come back after the year with the Mets and all these injuries issues. Now he's hitting two forty-one with four homers and 27 RBIs. Matt Olsen, always there. He's back and forth between the three and four spot, hitting two seventy-four with 14 homers and 37 RBIs. Probably the team MVP. And then a guy I really like, good defensively, good offensively, Ramon Laureano, he's on the 10-day DL today, but he's typically in the three spot. He has two. He's hitting 257 with 11 homers and 22 RBIs. The typical reliables for the Athletics, though, outside of Olson, really aren't as reliable. We got Matt Chapman, who's hitting 205. He's got five homers and 21 RBIs. That's very unlike Matt Chapman. And then Elvis Andrews, the guy who's always slayed the division comes over on the Chris Davis trade, hitting 211 with zero homers and seven RBIs. And another guy I liked that I thought would keep getting better, Steven Piscotti hitting 214 with four homers and 11 RBIs. If they want to get ahead of the Astros and steal a wild card, because it looks like probably somebody out of the AL East is going to steal a wild card spot, they're going to have to have those guys step up, and I don't see that happening either. But again, like the Giants, they're going to be sticky and surprising and be right in there till the end with the Astros and then we got the Rays like name me one player on the Rays that just makes you go damn outside of Tyler Glass now who's a new addition there ain't none well Tampa Bay is 36-22 two games ahead of the Red Sox which is a little surprising and four and a half ahead of the Yankees head to head they're 0-3 against the Sox 8-5 against the Yankees aka pitching and 5-2 versus the Blue Jays as their usual rotation has been rock solid. Always expect them to have good pitching the past few years. They've had a great bullpen, and the lineup has been hitting better than expected. We got Tyler Glass now having another ace season. He's four and two with a two six nine ERA, hundred and six strikeouts, shit's nasty, and a .92 whip. Then we have Ryan Yarborough Yarborough. You know, he's been starting, sometimes he'll have him as a one inning starter. He's 3-3 three three with a 3.95 ERA, 53 Ks, and a 1.14 whip. And then we have this young, promising arm, Shane McClanahan. I've added him on my fantasy team. He's got gas, 95-98 mile-an-hour fastball, good movement. He's 2-1 with a 4-1-1 ERA. They're really weaning him. He gets like four innings most of the nights. 38 Ks and a one whip. Then we have Rich Hill in his first year with the Rays. 4-2, 3.32 ERA. 60 Ks in a 102 whip. I wish the Angels would have gave Rich Hill a shot. That's impressive. And then in the bullpen, they got old reliable Diego Castillo. He's got some nasty movement on his balls. He's got eight saves, 305 ERA, and 28 Ks as a closer. Looking at the lineup, uh, big name Brandon Lowe is struggling with the 196 average. Joey Wendell has been respectable, batting 284, six homers and 27 RBIs. Manuel Margot has been nice within the, the lineup. 240 average, four homers and 31 RBIs. He's also quick on the base pass. And then we have Kevin Kermeyer, who hasn't really performed that well. He's hitting 216 with a homer and six RBIs. And then Randy Arena, the big playoff prospect that kind of earned his way, has been respectable at the 254 average, seven homers and 27 RBIs. And then we got the DH, Austin Meadows, hitting 244, 14 homers and 44 RBIs and a 900 OPS. A lot of that has to do with the top of the lineup getting on base, those big RBI numbers. But hey, these are the, this is the shit. Nothing jumps out off the page besides Glass now. And here they are, two games ahead of the Red Sox, four and a half ahead of the Yankees. If I were to guess they will perform higher than the Red Sox. But if the Yankees somehow get healthy, which they haven't been all year, and they're still 31 and 26, their ceiling's very high. But the Rays own the Yankees head-to-head, especially because they have the pitching and the, the Yankees don't. So going to be a fun finish. Tough, tough division. But I had to give some love to the Rays, the Athletics, and the Giants because not really many people do, including myself. Well, let's talk uh, last weekend's series matchups. The Blue Jays beat the Indians 2-1. Big win for another ALS ALS team. The Brewers swept the Nationals, as expected. The Brew Crew getting hot. Brew Crew is currently 30-26, half a game behind the Cardinals and two games out of the Cubs. Get Yelich back, get him getting some momentum, you never know. The Mets and Braves only get one game in the series because of weather, but the Mets take care of the Braves 13-2. Taiwan Walker goes five innings with eight Ks. He improves four to one. Another acquisition that's really playing good ball. I wish the Angels would have signed. The Royals beat the Twins two to one as their disaster season continues. The Padres flex on the AL heavy hitting Astros. They beat them two to one in a wild series. Very good series. The AL has been punking the NL. Padres weren't having it. And then the Giants sweep the Dodgers. Gossman, Logan Webb, and the guy De deliver delivering that big-time series. Shit's wild. Well, this weekend, we got Phillies versus Nationals. Another NL East battle, even though the Nationals are at the bottom of the division. They're not that far out. A fun AL East battle with the Sox and Yankees. Big rivalry game. Astros versus Blue Jays in another you know big AL battle. The Blue Jays are within striking distance. And then we have Dodgers versus Braves, a big potential playoff preview. We have Cubs versus Giants in another fun NL series of two teams that are probably performing above expectations. And then we have Mets versus Padres in the big NL battle that hosts Sunday night baseball. Hopefully it happens this week as the last one got rained out. Enough of the diamonds. Let's talk some chill, man. We got NBA playoffs. We will save some of the best for last. Before we dive into round two, quick news, um, Mark Sheffoli suspended four games for the Winnipeg Winnipeg Jets versus Canadians. Tough loss for them as they don't have their center probably the rest of the series. So let's talk shop. Since the last round, the Bruins and Islanders have advanced, which I had the Capitals beating the Bruins and Pittsburgh beating the Islanders, obviously was off on that one. In Game 1, the the Bruins did work in the third period. They scored three goals to win 5-2. David uh, Pasternak had his fifth playoff goal. And then Game 2, New York stole home ice in a nail-biting 4-3 win. Josh Bailey got his fourth playoff goal during the power play. Kyle Palmieri gets his fourth playoff goal for the Islanders. And Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand, both with their fourth playoff goals for Boston in the defeat. So let's go game three. Boston takes the first game in New York two to one game goes to overtime uh, at a one-to-one score. But Brad Marchand again got his fifth playoff goal to secure the win. Big game four is New York has to win out and you know, they're at home. So this is going to be fun to see if New York has any life left in them. Let's move on to Colorado versus the Vegas golden Knights. My abs. We got the abs. We got the jazz, both finishing number one overall. Would be so dope to see both of these teams win. I need it as an Angels and Steeler fan. Again, yeah, my teams are all over. If you don't, if you want to know why, tune into earlier episodes. Um, but let's go, Abs. Let's go. So I thought this was going to be a, an intense series. I wanted the Wild to win. Didn't happen. They pushed seven games. But Colorado and Vegas are four to four, four and four head up in the regular season. But who's going to slow down Nathan McKinnon in that Avs offense? Shit's been light out, and especially sweeping the, the Blues is no joke. And like I said, Minnesota was able to fight to force Game 7. But Vegas got hot in Game 7 and won 6-2 to two to prepare for the Avs. But with the Avs sweeping St. Louis, you know how much do they have in the tank with little rest? Are they going to be okay? Can they play defensively the way they need to to slow down the Avs? Well, Game one, if Game 1 is a sign... Vegas is is doomed. They beat the Knights seven to one. This is hockey seven to one, as McKinnon scored his seventh and eighth playoff goal. Brandon Saad and Gabriel Landeskog also bang in their fourth playoff goals uh, on power plays. They both have four. McKinnon has eight. This is their fucking fourth fifth playoff game. They they played six in game two. Keep that in mind. In game two, went to overtime as Saeed got his fifth playoff goal. And then in overtime, Miko Rantanen with his game-winning goal on the power play. Avs up 2-0, heading to Las Vegas. Pressure's on. Let's see what happens. If the Avs sweep the Vegas Knights, they're going to win it. They're going to beat Tampa Bay, hands down. Speaking of Tampa Bay, we got Tampa Bay versus Carolina. To get here, Carolina won both games with overtime goals by Jordan Stahl. With his fourth playoff goal. And Sebastian Aho, man, this guy's on fire. He scored his fifth playoff goal to win 4 to 2. Tampa blanked Florida 4 0 in game six to defeat the Panthers. And the Tampa wins both games at home 2 1. So Carolina wins game three at home in overtime 2 1. Sebastian Aho with his sixth playoff goal. Braden Point and Alex Kilhorn score their sixth playoff goal via power plays as well. Very interesting. Very interesting. Aho's balling, man. Uh, but big win for Carolina in their first game at home, so they don't uh, they avoid the 3 0 deficit or 2 0 or yeah, 3 0 deficit, and they have game four back in Carolina. Push those raise, you know, push Tampa Bay Lightning a little bit, right? Push them, tire them out for the ass for me. And then another another surprising series. We have Montreal versus Winnipeg. I had Toronto and Edmonton both winning. I think these were the two biggest surprises around one. After Winnipeg shocking Edmonton after Edmonton whooped their ass all season. And then also, Montreal comes back as Toronto was up 3-1. After beating Montreal 4-1 in that game, you'd think it's over. Nah. It looked like the series was over, but in game five, Montreal went up early 3-0. Toronto forced its way back to to go into overtime. But Nick Suzuki, of all people, kept the series alive with an overtime goal. That was his second playoff goal. And then going to Game 6, another overtime game, uh, as the game was 2-2. This time, Jesperi Kotkanimi scored his third playoff goal for the victory. And Game 7, I don't think Toronto really showed up. They lost 3-1 as William Nylander was the only scorer for his fifth playoff goal. And Toronto takes defeat again. That's a lot of pressure for them losing in the first round. So let's talk de- Game 1 of Montreal versus Winnipeg. It was a doozy, a doozy. But Jesper nets fifth playoff goal and four goals are scored in the third hot third in, uh, period as Montreal takes the f- game one victory five to three and without w- Winnipeg without their center. It's going to be interesting. So upcoming this week, Friday night tonight, it's Friday night, man. Shit. It's four o'clock, man. I got to start drinking. Uh, Montreal versus Winnipeg game two. Avs game three in Vegas must win for the Knights. And then game four is on Saturday. We got New York, Carolina, as both teams try to even the series. They're at home. You need a win. None of these series will be over before the podcast on Tuesday or I film on Tuesday, put it out on Wednesday. But hey, playoff hockey, man. Who would have thought Winnipeg, Edmonton? I mean, who would have thought this shit? I'm enjoying the the Vegas series, even though uh, the Avs are up 2-0. I mean, you know, Vegas can still make shit happen. But they win that, I, I, I would highly expect them to, you know, I think Montreal beats Winnipeg, but I would highly expect them to do that. So it's going to come down to, my opinion, Boston and Tampa. Can one of those teams slow down the Avs? Isn't my avalanche just slicing people up? Nathan McKinnon, the best man on the ice. Before we wrap, I got a non-story story this week. I haven't done a non-story story in a while. If you're from Montana, this is a story. But, hey, it's not, it's not a major headline. But the match, the big golf um, tournament between professional athletes and professional golfers is back on. We got Phil coming off a win and the oldest major winner. And Brady again, this time matching up with Rogers, Aaron Rodgers, and Bryson DeChambeau. July 6th, a month out. But it's happening in Bozeman, Montana. How cool is that that Montana's hosting this beautiful scenery I grew up in Montana. I was way too broke to be golfing, let alone golfing in Bozeman, Montana. But I can't wait to see this. Um, I'm sure the ticket prices, if they have them, will be you know tremendous. Uh, but really cool non-story story this week. And before we let you go, don't forget to check out fueledsupplements.com. My guy, Josh Morin and family, keeping the lights on, doing amazing work, Help uh, people helping people, people, fund the small business, fuck the corporations, That's it. I'm out. Let's go.